Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It's a Christmas verse given by the prophet Isaiah some 600 years before Jesus was born in the manger. Here's the text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We all know Emmanuel means God with us. What a great blessing we have. Jesus came in the flesh over 2,000 years ago. He was born, he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross, he bore our sins, he died, he rose again. But you know, we can have a relationship with God even today. As we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who is with believers 24-7, 365 days a year. And so he's always with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. All we have to do is pray, and we can come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And we just have a wonderful relationship with God. And as we look forward to the Christmas season, let's just be so thankful for a God who unconditionally loves us and accepts us the way we are and allows us to not only have his salvation, but also be members of his family and have eternal life and all the blessings and benefits of having a relationship with him. What a great blessing. What a great thought for the Christmas season.
This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio two missionaries from Japan, from, actually from the island of Okinawa, where I had served uh, in the military at one time in my previous existence. Peter and Valerie have served in Okinawa for four years now, and they're home on furlough, and they want to share some of the experiences that they've had on the mission field. So as we were doing ministry in Okinawa and working with the local church there, we met the pastor's son-in-law. And... Uh, we have lovingly named him Charles to protect his privacy. Charles is a very interesting character. He's not a Christian. Uh, his wife is, um, but he is not, which seems to be very common in Japan where the, the wife is a Christian and then the husband is not. So we have desired to build a relationship with him. Uh, we really desire to see him become a Christian. I remember the first time that we had him over, it was such a wonderful time. We had him and his wife and his sister-in-law and basically the whole family with the kids and everyone over and we were eating together and they had such a wonderful time that at the end, in a very un-Japanese fashion, he blurts out, we should have you over for dinner. And his wife, a little hesitant, says, well, how about we go out for a meal? <laughs> Which is the more Japanese thing to do. <laughs> Most Japanese people won't invite people over unless you're family to their home. And at the time, they were living in a very small apartment. And so I think she was quite nervous about mm -hmm. having us over. But that was really the beginning of uh, this wonderful relationship that we have with him. And so over, over as the months rolled by, uh, we started to just have them over on a really regular basis. And it was really interesting because there came a point where we started to feel like Charles was kind of testing us to see if we would accept him and love him in spite of behavior that he might exhibit that might not be appropriate. Um, so for instance, one time uh, I was using a wrong word in Japanese. And in the Japanese culture, you never want to correct someone when they're using a wrong word or something like that because it's seen as very impolite and the Japanese don't really differentiate between a person and their actions and their ideas. It's if you criticize someone's actions or ideas, then you're also criticizing the person themselves. And so he corrected a word that I said, and even my Japanese language teacher will often not correct me, even when I know that I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> even and when you ask. Even when you ask them to, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he, he made this correction and I just, I paused for a second because I was kind of surprised, but then I went on and used the word that he had suggested and, and our relationship continued on like normal. And he did several interesting things um, that just were culturally kind of questionable, but we just were so determined to just keep loving him. And I think eventually he kind of accepted that and the testing stopped, but it did go on for several months. Yeah, one of the tests actually was quite interesting. I think it would be even inappropriate here. Um, he was over at our house and we were talking about soccer. It's his favorite sport. And he mentioned that the Japanese men's team was trying to qualify for the World Cup. And so I was just trying to talk with him and learn more about the soccer team because I, I don't know much about international soccer. And he suddenly says, can I come over to watch the game? <laughs> I said, sure. He says to me, can I invite my friends? Oh, <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. On one condition. And he said, what? He said, I said to him, on the condition that we can make the food and we'll provide Canadian snacks that we would normally eat at a sporting event when we get together with friends. And he says, oh, that's great. 
<laughs> and we had a wonderful time. He invited people over and we had just an incredible time with him. And we are desperately praying for his salvation. And actually, it's uh, been quite a fascinating journey just to watch him. He actually attended our Bible ESL class where they would each week learn stories. The students would learn stories about Jesus. And at the end of each Bible ESL class, there's a memory verse. And when he first started attending, he was so excited. He would come up to Peter every week after class and share with him the verse from the week before he had memorized these English Bible verses. And so we just kept praying to God that he would just really use those verses that had been implanted in Charles's mind to kind of filter into his heart and so that he would become a Christian. And so I actually started praying as well for Charles to become a Christian through his daughter, Annabelle. He and his daughter are very, very close. And she, at that point, was not a Christian either. And we started praying for her salvation. We had also developed quite a close relationship with her as well. And she had been attending our kids' ESL class and we just kept trying to pour Jesus' love into her life. And we just found out a couple months ago that she actually has become a Christian. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And she's been baptized in Japan. And so now we, <laughs> it seems like that, that uh, drawing of her daddy to Christ may, may be getting started now that she's become a Christian as well. Well, that's a really interesting story. And uh, thank you so much for sharing it. Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayers and your financial support over these many, many years that we've been on the air. Uh, we continue to need your support, and of course at Christmas uh, many remember us, and we're so thankful for that because Legacy Gifts and those who contribute to this ministry every month have been able to sustain this ministry for well over 90 years. This month, we're offering a wonderful book on Christmas by Max Licato. Let me just read his description of this book. The greatest mind in the universe imagined time. The truest judge granted Adam a choice. But it was love that gave Emmanuel, God with us. The author would enter his own story. The word would become flesh. He too would be born. He too would be human. He too would have feet and hands, tears and flesh. Witness the birth of Christ as you've never seen it before. Witness the birth of Christ as you've never seen it before. I highly recommend that you would get this book. It's got some unique insights into Christmas that I think many of us uh, haven't realized or even thought about and how uh, blessed we are to be the recipient of a God who loved us so much that he became flesh and a babe in a manger in Bethlehem. And so I really encourage you to order your copy of this book. Don't forget to order your copy of In the Manger by Max Licato. And you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States, at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And we appreciate your prayers to Canada's National Bible Hour.
Hark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bringing good cheer to young and old, meek and humble. Ding dong, ding dong, that is a song, dear joyful ring, all caroling. One seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, filling the air. Oh, how they pound, raising the sound, or hill and dale, telling the tale. Sing songs of the cheer, Christmas is here. Merry, 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 merry Christmas, merry, Christmas, merry Christmas. On, on they sing, on without end, their joyful tone to every home. Dark have the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bringing good cheer to young and old, meek and the old. Ding dong, ding dong, dad is a song, dear joyful ring, all caroling. One seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, filling the air. Oh, how they pound, raising the sound, or Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we are continuing our series entitled, Are We Close to the End Time? In our previous lesson, we have learned that God promised to bring the Jewish people back to their homeland. Then we saw that they would be united as a nation under one flag. It appears to me, at least, that God has been working to begin the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning these promises. Today we want to move on to the third event, that we should consider whether or not we're close to the end time events that are predicted in the Bible. I would like us to consider the Bible predicts that the future nation of Israel would be born in one day. In Isaiah 65, verses 5 through 10, we read, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she travailed, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her, all you who mourn for her. Isn't it most interesting here that God compares the birth of Israel to a woman bearing a child so quickly that she has no labor pains? It is fascinating to me that the nation of Israel was truly born in one day on May the 14th, 1948. The British mandate over Palestine ended in 1947 because Great Britain felt they could no longer handle the problems between the Arabs and the Jewish people. Precisely at 4 p.m. on May the 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion proclaimed that the state was to be Israel 
with these words. We hereby proclaim the establishment of the Jewish state to be called Israel. This was the first time there was a Jewish state in nearly 2,000 years. This brought both applause and tears from the Jewish people, and they began to dance in the streets, but not for long. Gunshots began to ring out. That very evening, Arab nations surrounding Israel launched an all-out war against this newly formed state. Israel's army had little equipment and very few trained militaries to fight this war. A friend of mine who fought in that war told me that when the commands were given to battle, most of the soldiers could not obey them because they spoke so many different languages. He also told me that they had one gun for every three men. Britain had shipped guns and arms to Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq, while Israel had no air force, tanks, or even uniforms. I remember reading about two Egyptian gunships that started shelling the seacoast towns. Two Israeli young men swiped a small plane like a Piper Cub. Somehow they got the thing in the air, and they set out to bomb those ships. The only bombs they had were two Molotov cocktails, uh, their bottles filled with gasoline. The article continued that they dropped one on each ship. They hit exactly at the right spot, and they blew the ships out of the water. Explain that one, except the hand of God was with that fledgling nation. It was in his timing for Israel to become a nation again. God said they would become a nation in one day, and they did. The next prophetic promise God gave about Israel is the, that in the last days, Israel would recapture Jerusalem again. God has a different perspective on Jerusalem than on any other place in the world. In Ezekiel 5, 5, we read, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries around her. 1967, Israel was attacked once again. This war was fought on three fronts, the Egyptian, the Syrian, and the Jordanian. Once again, God spared his people. This was perhaps the shortest war in history as it only lasted for six days. It took only two days to defeat each of those enemy nations. The capstone of it all was that Israel took the city of God. One year when I was visiting in Israel, my guide was the first Israeli soldier to enter Jerusalem on that June day in 67. He told me that the tears were running down the faces of him and his army buddies as they approached the western wall of the Temple Mount. It was theirs for the first time in 2,000 years. He was wounded in the battle, but kept pressing on until the city was securely in the hands of the Israelis. Though there are still terror attacks and much unrest over Israel returning and having their land again, we need to look at what has happened from God's prophetic future, that the Jewish people returned and had their nation again. There is much end-time prophecy that could not be fulfilled if they had not come there. There could be no peace treaty with the Antichrist, according to Daniel 9. There could be no seven-year tribulation, 
according to Revelation 6. There would not be the 144,000 Jewish witnesses as recorded in Revelation. There would be no two witnesses, Revelation 11. There would not be a rebuilt Jewish temple, recorded in Revelation 11. There would be no abomination of desolation, as told about in Daniel 9 and Matthew 24. There would be no persecution of the Jews, where two-thirds die, according to Zechariah 13. There would be no protection of the Jews by Michael the Archangel, according to Revelation 12. No global catastrophe, catastrophic events would take place that are given in Revelation 6 to 19. There would be no second coming of Jesus Christ. I could continue this list even further, but that is not necessary to make my point. Since Israel has become a nation again, all of these events and more can now take place. In other words, the stage is now set for God's end-time prophecies to fall in place. The next few minutes, I would like to take you to some of the biblical references to Jerusalem in the Bible and its history and why the taking of Jerusalem by Israel was such an important prophetic event. The first time Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 14:18. Abraham paid tithes to the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Salem is the root word for the name of Jerusalem. In Genesis 22, Abraham traveled to Mount Moriah to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. This later became the Temple Mount. The first mention of the name Jerusalem is found in Joshua 10:1, where a coalition of kings battled against Joshua and were defeated. In September 1995, Israel celebrated the 3,000th anniversary of David conquering the city. What other city can claim to be the city of God or the city of the great king? God loves Jerusalem and intends to live there forever, according to Psalm 68 and 132. Jerusalem is a city where the Son of God shed his blood for our sins. Jerusalem is where Jesus ascended into heaven. Jerusalem is where Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. This was fulfilled exactly as he said when the Romans came in 70 AD and destroyed the city and the temple. In Luke 21, 24, Jesus said Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is over. The Romans were followed by the Byzantines, the Muslims, the Crusaders, the Mamelukes, the Turks, the British, and the Jordanians. Just as Jesus prophesied, Jerusalem suffered under the rule of Gentile nations for 1897 years until June 7, 1967. On that very day, Rabbi Shlomo Goran went to the Western Wall and said, I proclaim to you the beginning of the Messianic Age. Jerusalem will be the scene of the last battle of history when Satan gathers troops from all over the nation, from all the nations of the world and leads his final revolt against the Lord. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus returns and is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will rule over the entire earth for a thousand years. His reign of peace Righteousness and justice will be based in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the political, economic, and religious center of the world, according to Micah 4. There will be some seismic events at the return of Christ. Jerusalem will be lifted up and greatly expanded 
according to Isaiah 40 and Zechariah 14. Jerusalem will be greatly enlarged and will house the temple, a new and magnificent structure, and it will be under the supervision of the Messiah Jesus, according to Ezekiel chapters 40, 48. Jerusalem will be a glorious city, and for the first time in its history, there will be no more wars, but peace. It will be the home of the Prince of Peace. In those days, the Shekinah glory will hover over the city as a cloud by day and a fire by night, providing a canopy to protect the city from heat and rain. Zechariah proclaims that the nations of the world will send delegations to Jerusalem each year. And Ezekiel says the name of the city will be changed to the Lord is there. After the millennium and the earth has been renovated by fire, the new Jerusalem will descend out of heaven and the redeemed of all ages will live there in their glorified bodies. They will live in this city forever in the presence of Almighty God. Did you ever know what Jerusalem means in the Hebrew? It simply means the city of peace. It will never know peace until the Prince of Peace comes, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there any wonder why the writer of the book of Psalms would cry out to us in Psalm 122.6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. How much do we really pray for this city and its people as we have commanded to do here? As we have looked at Jerusalem historically and prophetically, it is easy to see why the Jewish people taking back Jerusalem is more than something worth noting. None of the future prophetic events could take place until Jerusalem is in the hands of the Jewish people. That has taken place. So we can see that the stage is now set for the end time events, those prophecies that are to be fulfilled. The only thing left to happen before they go into effect is the rapture of the church, which could take place at any time. As we see these events unfolding before us, there are two alternatives left for us. If we really know Jesus as our personal Savior, we can look up and rejoice, for our redemption is very close. On the other hand, if you do not know him as your Savior, you have a decision to make that will affect your eternal destiny, heaven or hell. Would you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart right now? You need to remember, eternity is a long, long time. trust that the message you just heard will be a real blessing to you and uh, to your life throughout this next week. We're so thankful for those who listen to our broadcast. We're concerned about those who may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is really clear that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have done things that we're ashamed of, things that the Bible calls sinful, and because of that, we're separated from God. And we have no way, no ability, to get to God. So God had to do something for us, and he did. He sent the best gift that heaven had to offer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God became man and became flesh and blood in a manger in Bethlehem. And he 
lived a sinless life, but his goal was to go to the cross. And as he was on the cross, he thought about you and me and all the sins that we committed. And he paid the debt. He paid the penalty for our sins because God has to judge sins because he's totally righteous and holy and pure and perfect. And so Jesus bore our sins in his own body and he died. But on the third day, he rose again. His sacrifice was accepted. And if as long as we accept him, as we receive him into our heart and into our life, our sins are forgiven and we have life and we have life more abundantly. The Bible says, but as many as receive him, the Lord Jesus Christ, unto them gave he the right to become the children of God. So I would ask that you would pray and sincerely ask Jesus to come into your life. And don't forget to order your copy of In the Manger, a book by Max Licato. This book will be a real blessing to you and you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And also you can hear past broadcasts on our website at missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. I trust that God will continue to bless you throughout this week in this Christmas season. 